Welcome, listener. Close the shades. Light a candle. Brace yourself. The night is young, and a story awaits you. There is so much to tell. Without further ado, Friends of the Bone Chariot presents Welcome to Madawaska. Chris, you look back towards downtown of Madawaska, the light from the fire, a day of the stars fading into white. Along the sides of the road, rough outlines of dark buildings obscured by heavy snowfall pass by as Skiff drives towards the hospital. Something in the sky catches the corner of your eye. Quickly, you look up. A large black mass cuts through the storm for a moment, passes above you before disappearing back into the white abyss. Oh, God damn it. I think there's eel above us. What? Did you say you saw an eel? No, I mean, it's something above us. I don't know what to do. Skiff, roll drive auto. I don't make it, but I use a couple of luck points to do make it. <laughs> you pass the Gateway Motel and something slams into the side of the car. <laughs> Fuck, man. And you spin, but you're able to stabilize. Chris, damn it. <laughs> hold on to the edge of the truck bed to stop yourself from being thrown over. You reel back from the biting cold of the snowy wind, and then the truck jumps with a loud crash. That's- Something has landed in the truck bed. Through squinted eyes, you see a massive figure before you, easily 10 feet tall. It lowers itself, although it seems to melt more than crouch. Black wings jut out, the wingspan large enough to disappear into the cover of the storm surrounding you. The truck passes beneath the street lamp, and for a brief moment, the figure is awash with light. A writhing mass of black tendrils grow and shrink, moving in between a formless mass and something resembling human. Eh. <laughs> so as you're driving skiff, you try to look back and you can see something on the back and you hear Chris screaming, but you can't see what they're screaming at. The storm is too wild. You're trying to stabilize. Everyone's freaking out in the cab. Are, are any of you looking at what Chris is screaming at right now? Uh, I would say yes, I was looking. <laughs> Perhaps foolishly, but I want to be honest with you. <laughs> Roll of sanity. Why would I say this to you? <laughs> uh, roll a 1d10. Chris, on the top of the mass, a woman's face stares at you from the end of a thick tendril, eyes entirely white, the mouth a horrible grin from ear to ear. Wait, Stella's? You wipe the back window of the truck with your sleeve to get a better look. Chris and Vernon block much of your view. But when the streetlight passes overhead, you see a flash of Stella's face between two sprawling black wings. They have a horrible wingspan. She's trying to slow the car down. She is go- holding onto the car? She's holding onto the car. She's a huge black mass, writhing and moving as if growing and shrinking. A limb reaches out and grabs Vernon and wraps around him and squeezes. And Vernon is just screaming bloody murder. And she just gets very close to him. Out of her comes an appendage that punches through Vernon's mouth. (laughs) Vernon's teeth and jaw shatter, and it's working through him, and he's just convulsing. 
<laughs> he just screams in his face. How is the veal tonight? <laughs> you see Vernon shrivel up. Oh my fucking god. She crushes him and throws him, and he disappears into the mist of the storm. Chris, what's going on back here? <laughs> Everything cool, man? <laughs> um, uh, Inez, I, I'm screaming this. Inez, I do not want to overstep my boundaries. I do not want to judge your kinks, but I suggest we shoot Stella in the face now. I want to say, before you shoot, let me just try and read with her for one moment. <laughs> this is my former lover. Um, she was just mad at the man that did not please her for so many years. Um, so I'm going to shout, Stella, it's me, Inez, your love. You are my muse. I love what you've done with yourself. Um, please do not hurt us. Chris, she looks directly at you and says, you could hear it over the storm as if it's inside of your head. Roll a strength roll. Oh, the old bullish strength rings again. <laughs> <laughs> so strong. All that about <laughs> Wow, that is Poland. Nostrovia, my friend. <laughs> she tries to wrap an appendage around you. Uh, and you're able to push it off. <laughs> nah. <laughs> roll another sanity roll. Her eyes start to glow a light. Beams of light penetrate you. Please, Stella, <laughs> stop doing this. You're able to look away. I whisper, it is okay. You can shoot her. She's obviously not listening to me anymore. A cock rifle, aim at face. <laughs> So you hit Stella in the side of her face and blow away half of her face. Oh. Limbs start shooting out of her uh, as if she's starting to change. She screams into the night. As you're trying to fight off one of her appendages, another one wraps around you and squeezes, and you feel bones break. Oh, no. Oh, damn it. Your left arm breaks. You are pinned now. She's staring you straight in the face. Roll another sanity roll. This is not good. I'm describing everything to everyone in the cab as it's happening. <laughs> this is not one. This one is not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh no. Seems like a broken bone. Roll a 1d10. Okay. Can I try to read this banishment spell from this paper, from the siren translation? Oh, absolutely. All right, I have some of the papers with me. I save them. It's a little window like that separates the cab from the bed. It's like a little sliding thing. So I just stick my face out. I'm in the back anyway. And I just <laughs> I slide it open. I say, holy shit. And then I read from the translation, it says, Chant laga yuma yagor binkor nogopai nairi nogopai. Roll a power roll. It's a successful roll. Roll a sanity roll. All right. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so, Rose, <laughs> you feel a pulse inside of you. 
as you yell it out, you can just feel your blood almost boiling inside of you as if your skin is melting off. You have a vision of all the townspeople with wings, their faces engorged, different parts of their bodies writhing stakes with wings. No, no. And the town is ablaze. And as you look up, you see a black mass start to descend over the town as if it's almost an eclipse. As you look up to see what it is, you pass out. Stella is screaming. She's grasped onto you, Chris. And as you see, limbs start to melt off her. So she bites down into your neck. (gasps) And as she pulls back, an appendage stays into your neck from her mouth. And you see it pulsing as if she's training you. Her face is starting to melt. Stella starts flapping her wings viciously as she clutches Chris tighter. Tendrils rot and dissolve off her, and she launches off the back of the truck, still holding you, Chris. Damn it! They disappear into the shroud of the storm. Fuck! Guys, did you see that? (laughs) Rose is starting to come to. She's shivering. Charles has passed out, and Rick is hiding underneath the blanket. <laughs> what do we do? Do we stop and find Chris? Yes, to the hospital. Uh. I think we have to go to the hospital first. Okay, 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 okay. Jesus fucking Christ. So you pull into the parking lot of the Madawaska Urgent Care Center. There's a light on its side. There's one nurse sleeping in a chair. Nurse, excuse me? (laughs) Yes, we carry everyone in. Say, hey, in a series of entirely unrelated events that we may or may have not had anything to do with, we have a bunch of people that need urgent care right away. A few nurses come out. They start tending to Charles. And they say, "Who, who was hurt? Who was hurt? And Rose, you don't really remember what you saw or what just happened. Where's Chris? Rick says, well, where's Vernon? Oh, Rick, <laughs> Rick, 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 Rick. Yeah. Help Charles. So Charles is stabilized. Going to basically be rushed to the Caribou Medical Center. They've stabilized him enough. They're going to wait for the storm to let up a little bit before they're able to transport him. Rose, are you feeling, how are you feeling now? I feel cold and hot, but I think I'm okay. I don't think I need to stay here. Do you realize how intense you got back there? Nah. I mean, I was driving. I could only hear it, but that was intense. Uh, I hate to be rushing, but I think we need to go and find Chris right now. ASAP. Yes, right now. Yes. I'm going to give Charles a little kiss on the forehead as they're throwing him away. (laughs) Sorry, Charles. Charles might be our key. Yes, I guess so. I grab him by his stupid face after the nurse leaves. (laughs) (laughs) And I say, listen here, you piece of shit. I don't care if you were taken over by some whatever. All I know is this. You got no hands no more, and that's on account of me. So I'm going to look at you dead in the eye and tell you this one time. Our friend Chris is missing. It was taken by some sort of giant spaghetti monster. You were possessed earlier. My brother, you are the bridge. So you tell me right now where the hell our buddy Chris could be, or I swear to God, I'll take that other leg from you too. Jesus, Skip. Don't take my other leg. Maybe not. I'm sorry. It's been a long, been a long day. <laughs> he looks at. You, if he's alive, she brought him to the cave. It's the only way. It's the only. Uh, 
and he passes out. I point at Inez. <laughs> well, that was my guess as well. I'm glad that you threatened that man. Uh, but now we now we know, so perhaps we should get going, Skiff? Yes, now that I've scared that man asleep, let's go. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry you had to see that. That was not the Skiff that you've come to know and love, and I'm sorry. Skiff, it is okay. It's been a long day. I'm sorry, guys. No, don't apologize. Have an oyster. Let's both have oysters and run. Quick. Shuck a couple quickies. Pass them around. I've just had an oyster, and I'm feeling feisty. So, to the cave! <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the draw of the cave that draws us women. It is so exciting for me to go into a cave. I feel fucked up, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I felt worse, but I'm also emboldened right now, and I'm gonna turn to... And I'm really upset at Skiff for talking all that shit to Charles. So I'm going to turn to him and I'm going to say, I never liked your oysters. I... <laughs> I haven't been eating them this whole time. I've been throwing them over my shoulder. Giff looks at you and just a tear rolls down his face. Oh no. He says, sorry you feel that way. I've gone too far. I didn't mean to... Damn it, Skiff, you always do this. No, I cannot let this happen. Okay, I'm going to put my hands on both of your shoulders, right around, no, right around your, the back of your necks, and bring you close in the huddle. I say, this is no time for infighting. We're all leaned up against each other, eye to eye. Now we must save our Polish friend, Chris. I know we just met, perhaps, four hours ago. I'm not sure at this point, but I consider you all lifelong friends. and. And perhaps lover. Who knows what happens after this? So let us go into the cave and save Chris. I'm gonna stick my chin out and I'm gonna lick Skiff's tear away <laughs> as an act of uh, friendship. And then watching that, I am going to cry a single tear watching that happen. Because <laughs> it is so beautiful, it is what friendship is all about. And then I shed a couple more tears and I say, Did you guys know that's how oysters show affection too? <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, this is the most beautiful moment of my life. I will make an art piece off of it after I am done, but for now we must go. So you drive to Fraser Papers. You pass the fire on Main Street at De La Stards. You see the building is absolutely ruins. It's crumbling. They're wheeling out a corpse, blackened. The storm rages on. You turn down Bridge Street and you pull over the truck at the entrance to Fraser Papers. You enter into the factory and it's calm. All the machinery is off. There's no one there. It's eerily still. You make your way through the factory. You go out the back and you're at the construction site. You walk to the end of the foundation and you come across the entrance to the cave. I looked out onto the fields of fallen maple trees and saw my childhood there, buried, lost to the sap. And that was The Maple Wolves of 1909, read in its entirety by Lester Lore. You are listening to WKTM 660. Good morning, Madawaska. The wrath of winter continues as the winter weather advisory remains in effect. Temperatures are through the roof at 29 degrees and right back down at 14 degrees. That's minus 1.6 and minus 10 degrees Celsius respectively. And thank you to the Canadian Public Broadcasting Company for the Celsius conversion chart. And now... The news. 
the Madawaska Fire Department heroically defeated the blaze of destruction that set out to bellow down Main Street. Reports indicate police were nearby. Due to the winter weather advisory, the Education Department is closing all school bus routes for the day. Schools, of course, will remain open. Strap on those snowshoes, children, and trudge your way through the snowy abyss. Lord knows I did. And now, WKTM 660 proudly presents What's New Maine with Betty South. Uh, uh, here's a torch and kerosene. Uh, so I have I've turned the torch on. I don't know, we can light something on fire with the kerosene, perhaps if we need to. I have my gun out. Thank the Lord for my gun. <laughs> Could I maybe do a spot hidden to see if I notice anything around the hole or like if, you know, maybe if we're being watched, like can I just kind of get a vibe? Absolutely, roll a spot hidden. <laughs> Not just the hole. <laughs> In and around. <laughs> <laughs> oh as you look down in the hole you fumble and drop the torch down in it <laughs> guys Fuck. oh my god do you want to descend into the cave <laughs> yes we must to get the torch what else it's i'm sure chris is down there we could shout into the cave but can you describe the torch what kind of torches what is i mean before it fell but before someone dropped it yeah what is it Someone just say who it is, okay? <laughs> Stop with the passive aggressive. So it's like a stick on fire. Yeah, a stick with cloth, like soaked in kerosene. Okay. So you have a torch and a flashlight. Stick, okay. You just dropped the torch. We have this flashlight. Uh, but when you look down, you can see an opening at the bottom. Okay, let us descend carefully. Okay. Oh my goodness. When you first enter the cave, it's very claustrophobic. But as you move deeper and deeper into it, starts to open up more and the, the path becomes wide. There's a steep slope downward that loops around. As you move forward in the cave, above you is ice. The light reflects off and it almost looks as if the cave is a light. This is beautiful. <laughs> Guys, I, I don't know about you, but I don't spend much time in creepy caves. I'm getting a creepy cave vibe. Anyone else? <laughs> Uh, as a lover of caves, I do not feel the same way, but yes, it is creepy, I will admit. Fine, fine. This cave is creepy. I don't know why anyone wants to come down here. You descend deeper into the cave, the path before you seemingly endless. The light from your flashlight bounces off the ice-covered walls of the cave. You lower the flashlight and focus the light on a small pile of bones, pieces of fur still attached. A collar is among the bones. A name tag reads, Little Boy. There are more bones from small animals. Fur and collars litter the ground. Uh, among the bones, you step around long, black tendrils, unmoving and dead. Uh, they're in puddles of black ooze, seemingly rotted away from Stella. You follow her trail of rot. Uh, Chris, you wake up. Uh, your vision is blurry. It's dark. There's a low gurgling sound around you like a thick soup is simmering. You can't seem to feel anything, and you can't move any of your limbs. You remember just a beautiful woman lifting you up into the clouds. Uh, you're able to move your head around. <laughs> your eyes adjust to the darkness, and you see that you're in a cave, uh, the ceiling covered in massive icicles. You're at the edge of a massive pit of darkness, uh, an expanse that stretches out to an impossible canyon before you. It doesn't make any sense that this could exist beneath the town. And as you stare out, the darkness in the expanse starts to move as if coming alive. Before you, 
you see a mountain of flesh writhing and pulsing as if itself is an ocean and it just seems to be flowing upwards eyes of light pop like cysts and light just drains from it I'm going to have to talk to Inez about this. There are some things you just you just don't not dive into sexually. <laughs> so you look down. Your body has dissolved, and it looks like you are in a pod of your own flesh. <laughs> so Chris is a flesh pod? Is that what's happened to him? Chris has been melted into a flesh pod with his like head sticking out. <laughs> the corpse of Stella is beside you. All you can see is her face, half shot off. Uh, the rest of her is a puddle of viscera, obscured by the darkness. The rest of you see a large awning up ahead that opens to a massive opening in the cave. You enter, following Stella's decay. You see the large mass of Stella's final remains at the edge of a wide cliff before you. Next to her is a weird pod-like mass of flesh, and you realize that it's Chris. <laughs> As you approach Chris, the dark expanse beyond the cliff rise and moves, and you recoil. Uh, all of you roll a sanity roll. I'm hanging on by thread. My thread, I tell you. <laughs> Skiff, roll a d100. <laughs> Inez, also roll a d100. Uh, great. Skiff, you feel yourself lift off the ground. There are lights flashing on and off in the impossibly large mass of flesh in the expanse beyond, like eyes opening and closing. You can't look away. All of the eyes open at once and focus fully on you. Your hair goes gray, your skin starts <laughs> to wrinkle, and as you scream, your vocal cords seem to break. You slam your teeth down and they crack inside of your skull. Water rises all around you and you're just in the depths of the ocean and oysters start swimming towards you chomping and you can feel them tearing at your flesh and you're just being eaten alive by oysters I always knew this day would go <laughs> Inez yes. as you look around the cave you see every group of rock in groups of 13 <gasps> You're counting bones in 13s. <laughs> Everything you see is 13. You see rivers of blood start to spew from your veins and they flow down the rocks and fills the gorge before you. And you're just looking at an ocean of blood. You see Rick swim by doing a gingerly backstroke. <laughs> <laughs> a fountain of blood just, you know, he's just spitting it out and you try to dive into the ocean to save Rick, and you fall into the darkness. Ah! And you're gone. <laughs> Skiff, you're clawing at the oysters, trying to tear them apart, trying to get away from them. Ah, the oysters, the oysters. <laughs> Rose, you watch as Skiff is just clawing away at Chris. Just killing him, just tearing all the pot oh, apart, yes. gouging out his eyes. <laughs> Stop it, man! You, you bastard! Get away from my pot! Not for you! Chris is screaming. <laughs> Give me your oyster meat. Okay, wow. So I'm gonna. <laughs> my goddamn oyster! Guys, he's an oyster. Eat him! Eat him! <laughs> Rose. As you look out into the darkness, okay. surrounding the darkness, 
looks to be some kind of pulsing ring. You could see it glowing as if it's some kind of opening. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris is probably fucked, right? In all likelihood. Skip is tearing at Chris and he says, Rose here. And I just start throwing <laughs> plums of his skin because I think they're oysters. And I said, enjoy the potato vodka. And I just am throwing Chris at Rose <laughs> thinking I'm being helpful. I'm just going to swat away the pieces of Chris. Chris is very dead at this point. Skiff just tore him apart, just clawed at him. It's just me and Skiff left? Yeah, Skiff is still screaming about being eaten by oysters as he tries to claw at Chris. Who is now? A gym corpse. Yeah. Skiff is incapacitated. Skiff is gone. Right, I'm gonna have to read this incantation and to close the gate. I pull out from the stack of notes that I still have, the one with the tower image on it, and I'm gonna read who, who knew you, Rylewell, Fantig, Oopsin, Rod, Gay, Oopsin, 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 Roll a power roll. I'm gonna flick a little bit of Chris off me. <laughs> yeah, it's successful. Okay, roll a sanity. No, no. Roll a 1d100. So, Rose, as you read the incantation, you see the god that is before you. Every one of its eyes turns on you, and you see the truth of its infinite nature, as perceived as a tower in the eyes of man. You see every vision of things that are to come, everything that has been, the destruction of the world, human beings as ants being fed to creatures so horrific that you cannot bear to look at them, but your eyes are glued. You try to scream and no sound comes out. You're lifted off your feet, rising into the air. Rock and debris float around you like it's in celestial orbit. The portal is quickly closing, the light in front of you growing smaller. A force unlike anything you've ever felt grabs you and pulls you into the blinding lights as the portal seals shut behind you. This is WKTM 660, Madawaska Public Radio. It's Wednesday, March 30th. Hang up the phone and put down that baby because it's time for the Buck Starts Here, Madawaska's weekly call-in show. I'm your host, Glenn Hart. I have with me today Arthur Buck, Madawaska's own town manager. Hello, everybody. Arthur, thank you for coming on the show. Well, Glenn, thank you for having me on the show, and let's get to the callers. Madawaska, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, caller, you're on the air. Hello? Who do we have the pleasure of speaking with today? Yes, this is Geraldine Swan. Well, hello, Geraldine. I'm Arthur Puck, and I'd like to thank you for- Hello, I've got a couple of questions about the local Tasty Freeze. Uh, absolutely. How may I help you? Well, well, here's the problem. I mean, mean, I've been going down there every day uh, after my community work, and um, I'm, I'm having some problems. I'm sorry to hear that, Geraldine. What kind of problems are well, you... Well, I'm feeling funny after I have my treats. Feeling funny? What do you mean? Well, you know, I'm a lady. I'm not going to divulge, but, uh, you know, uh, let's say it's going right through me. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. That's right. I'm going to say that back to you. Going right through you. 
I, I don't want to repeat it, but I've sampled all the different items. I'm doing the cones, I'm doing the sundaes, I'm trying the milkshakes, and every single one has just shot right through me. No, man. We... Well, I've got a question for you. What's in the water, gentlemen? Town manager? Well, I can reassure you, uh, ma'am, that there is absolutely nothing wrong with the water in our fine town Don't of Don't you dare tell me it's my bottom. Oh, uh, ma'am, I would never... Right. Uh... I'm just telling you now, I've already seen a doctor, and I don't want no quack answers. I want to know what's wrong and what's happening. How many cones or sundaes or milkshakes do you eat at any given time? That's not a goddamn business! Ma'am, you have the ear of Madawaska. This is Madawaska Public Radio. Don't want to have to repeat myself. I'm a lady! I don't need to tell you how many cones I'm taking in or what kind of slime is coming out of me. Uh, ma'am, it sounds like a medical what issue. What I need to know is who's responsible. I think it's clear that a you are. Is there a police chief on the line? Look, Mrs. Swoon, I can... Daryl Dean Swan! Mrs. Swan, I can assure you there is absolutely nothing wrong with the water. Either at the Darling, why, 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 why are we talking about water? Well, Mrs. Swan, I was responding to your previous... I said the ice cream shooting out of my butt. I, I'm just trying to understand what kind of conspiracy uh, uh, garbage is going on here. What is this, Nazi Germany? That's uh, quite the accusation you're making about the Tasty Freeze in town. Yes, I can attest uh, personally that the Tasty Freeze has no political affiliation. Have we considered the alternative of not eating it at all? What are you insane? Bleedy, bleedy, bleed. Let's get a, 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 a cuckoo doctor on the line because this radio show has lost control of its mind. I, I uh, somebody phone Frui. What's his name? Uh, Dr. Sigmund. Frui, Ma'am, if only I had his number. Thank you so much. Well, I'm gonna keep eating and I'm gonna crack this case if it takes my, if it blows my asshole right open. You had the ear of Madawaska, and that's what you decided to say. Thank you for calling. The buck starts here. The buck stops here. Looks like the phone lines are lighting up. Next caller. Hi. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Sheila Scharfscarf. Uh, I just want to say first and foremost that I'm a really big fan of yours, Glenn. Oh, Sheila, it's so wonderful to have you on. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to hear you. And secondly, I'd like to say that Arthur Buck, I think you're doing a wonderful job with the management of our town. Well, Sheila, thank you for the kind words. Now, what can I do for you? I'd like, if it's all right, to read an announcement. Sheila, the floor is yours. I'm looking for a dashing gentleman who likes mushroom stew, since that's all I know how to cook. Mm -mm. Or maybe... A dapper Dan who knows how to cook something besides mushroom stew. That's all. Thank you so much for both of your time. Sheila, thank you so much for the phone call. I have to say, I hope you find what you're looking for. Thank you. And look at that. The call lines are blowing up. Let's go to the line now. Hello, you're on. The buck starts here. Glenn. That's right, you're live on the air. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with today? Hello. It's me, Taylor Chase. I'm just calling because I was hoping you're doing okay with everything going on. Wow, Taylor, so lovely to hear your considerate, kind words. 
If I'm being honest with myself, I feel like the past few weeks have been tough on all of us. Things feel so out of place, don't they? What is our path forward, town manager? I say, you know, life, life no matter what, we just had a little bit of an upset, a little bit of a bump in the road. Mm, feels like a few bumps, if you ask me. I would say it was, it was one contained, small bump. Well, I would say, I wouldn't say it was a small bump. I think it's fair to say it was a little larger than that, Buck. Come on. Glenn, uh, pardon me, but it all happened in one day. Mm. Time is the scale upon which we measure the impact of a disaster. In this case, yes. I was just worried because when I drove by your house last night, I didn't see your car in the driveway. You didn't see my what? I didn't see your car in the driveway. I'm sorry, I'm not sure I quite understand exactly what you're saying. Do you... I'm telling you, I didn't see your car in the driveway. Whose driveway? My driveway? Is this... Wait a minute, you? Who is this? It's Taylor Chase. Well, I, I implore you to stay away from my home, my automobile, but also... Thank you for calling the Buck Starts here. Yes, Taylor, thank you. It's always heartwarming to hear about a citizen who just cares so much and is willing to look out for their fellow man. Thank you again. Mm, yes, great. Thank you. Let's go to another caller, shall we? Hi, Glenn. Uh, love the show. Thank you. Glad to have you on the air. Manager Buck. My name's Bertie Sumter. I'm a mail carrier. I just wanted to say thank you for dealing with the dog problem. All us mail carriers really appreciate it. Now, Bertie, first of all, I'd like to thank you for your service. The U.S. Postal Service is an indispensable part of this country, an absolute institution. You got that right. Uh, with that said, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by a dog problem. I, I'm, I'm unaware of any kind of dog control mm. procedure, any kind of uh, policy that Madawaska has been implementing to uh, rein in the dog population. I'm just, I'm just going to hop in and ask a quick question here. Are you implying that town manager Buck has something to do with the recent disappearance of household pets? Well, uh, you can't see it, but I'm, but I'm winking. Wow. I'm just going to address this right now. I know there's been whispers and... Sometimes not just whispers, there's been a lot of yelling. Maybe even a few barks. A dog may go missing from a time to time, but it is important to remember that we do have bobcats here in Madawaska, and that is not just our fine hockey team. And speaking of bobcats, make sure to come down to the Multipurpose Center this Sunday at 7 p.m. to see the Madawaska bobcats crack open the defensive shells of the caribou lobsters for a delicious victory. Uh, back to my point, there are critters in these woods here. So I'm going to say this back to you. So you think that wood critters are, quote, reining in, unquote, the dog population problem we have in Madawaska. Look, I, I, On behalf of the male lobby? Okay, I want to address that question in three parts. Firstly, Madawaska under no circumstances has a dog population problem. Secondly, U.S. Postal Service, fantastic. Mm. And then the third point, I don't know why Birdie would lie like this. Well, Arthur, this isn't the first time that you've, you've helped out the post office. Mm. Uh, Bertie, thank you for your call. Thank you for your call, Bertie. It's been wonderful. With all due respect, Mr. Buck, I need to ask that you refrain from interfering with the lines. You see, I am the person who indicates where the buck does and does not start. Absolutely. Come on, let's go to the next caller. Caller, the buck starts here. Hello. Hello, caller, you're on the air. Oh, good. Who do we have the pleasure of speaking with today? This is Ernest. Hello, Ernest. This is Arthur Buck. I can't believe I got my call answered. Sir, well, congratulations on getting through. Is there something I can address for you this evening? I work in the graveyard, and I dig a lot of holes there. 
And I'm just calling to say there's been a lot of problems about people hanging out in the graveyard, and it's no place for games. Exactly what kind of games are people playing? Oh, all sorts of games. You know, kids these days with the baseball. Now, Ernest, as there is a baseball field just next door to the cemetery, is it possible that you are seeing children playing baseball at the baseball field? Well, what do you know about that? I've seen them here myself. I see all sorts of things here, things you wouldn't even believe. But you should believe that there's kids here that play in baseballs. What are some of the things that we wouldn't believe you see down at the graveyard? Spectres, poltergeists, phantoms, spooky things, and kids, kids too, playing. Now, Ernest, uh, these apparitions as you describe them... I didn't describe them as apparitions. Well, they come out at different times. The poltergeists, they come out right at the stroke of midnight, like clockwork. When these poltergeists arrive, is it possible you are not in the clearest state of mind, sir? I was raised well. I only drink when the moon is full or when the wind is blowing. So you're not drinking with these figures of the night? I don't, they don't seem to drink much. Just so I'm understanding, Ernest, you're saying you'd stay late to the stroke of midnight in the cemetery to greet the poltergeists that arrived like clockwork and try to drink with them just to be disappointed to learn that they don't actually drink. Let me make something a little bit clear here to you, okay? Have you ever tried to dig several six-foot graves? As soon as you start grave digging, you learn you gotta do it at night when the weather's nice and you're not getting sunburned. So I'm not there to greet the poltergeist, as you put it. But yeah, they're there too. And I gotta put up with them, and then I gotta put up with these kids. Ernest, do these poltergeists have names, perchance? No, yeah, they got names. It's old-sounding names. But mostly I call them, hey, hey, you there, poltergeist. Well, Ernest, I hear you. I hear your concerns. I'm not exactly sure what I can do for you, though, about this poltergeist issue. That's nice. But the poltergeist isn't really the problem. As I said, it's the gay kids. I got one word for you, friend. A sign. That was two words, but the main word is one word, and that's sign. No children, except in mourning. They're there usually in the afternoon, and the late evening, not in the morning. And I don't want them there in the morning, because that's when I'm going to sleep. Ernest, I believe we're, uh... But we have a sign. It says cemetery. Okay, I got two words for you, Ernest. Sign addendum. Sign below the sign. No children. I like that. Except accompanied by adults. No children, period. When I was a kid, I never went to a cemetery. I went to school. I did chores. I broke my back working at the lumber mill. Same thing as every child in this town. Amen to that, Ernest. Yes, Ernest, thank you for all your service, and thank you for calling in today, friend. You have a nice day. Are we really friends? Ernest, you had the ear of Madawaska, and that's what you wanted to say in it. Going to the next caller on the line. Caller, you're on the air. Hello, Glenn? Wait a minute. I just, I felt terrible how our last talk ended. We really need someone to screen these phone calls. Is this you? It's me, Taylor Chase. Do you ever look at the stars and think about how small you are in the, in the universe? When two people stare up at the night sky, each pondering their insignificance in the awesome expanse of meaninglessness before them, through their mutual act, they form a bond even if only in that moment. But from that momentary connection, I like to believe that something beautiful, something lasting, can grow. I appreciate that you 
answered my question, but I'd really rather hear what Glenn has to say about it. Town manager, I certainly appreciate you addressing the possible stalker on the phone, answering questions to which no one asked, and to Taylor. Thank you so much for calling. The buck starts here. We're going to the next caller on the line. Caller, you're on the air. Hey. Hello. I'm the local mushroom farmer. Mmm, Madawaska mushrooms. I'd like to respond to a certain inquiry that was posed earlier on this show. Now, I know there's a lovely, lonely lady out there who's looking for a date. <gasps> I believe there is. Might you be someone interested? I would be interested, but here's the thing. I've been turned down by her now three times in this last month, only because I'm a mushroom farmer. Well, caller, you are in luck today because she left her callback number in case anyone dialed in. So what we'll do right now, we will patch you through on air. Oh, my God. To connect the love lines. One moment, caller. Caller, may I ask, what is uh, your name? Freddie Harshfellow. Well, Mr. Harshfellow, it is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Thank you, sir. And it is my understanding that the object of your affection is looking for a... A gentleman who might know his way around a kitchen. I make just about one thing. It's a mushroom stew. Gentlemen, I have to break in to introduce Sheila. Sheila, you are live on The Buck Starts Here. Hello? I have someone you might want to speak with. Oh, my. I just have to say I'm very grateful to you, uh, Glenn, for this. Hello? Interested caller? Caller, now's your chance. Sheila. I know you rejected me before, but I just have to say it here, in front of God, in front of the Madawaska town manager, in front of Glen Hart. I love you, and I know I can only make mushroom stew, and I know you're looking for a dapper Dan who can make other recipes besides mushroom stew, but we're meant to be together. Now will you have me or will you not? Oh, pretty. I'm just so sick of mushroom stew. Sheila! Sheila! Okay, Freddy. Let's give it one more shot. You're making me the happiest man in Madawaska. <laughs> I think I speak for the entire population of Madawaska when I say this is the most heartwarming story I've ever heard. Sheila and Freddie, thank you so much for calling in, and may your love blossom like fungus under a tree. This is Glenn Hart, and you've been listening to WKTM 660 Madawaska Public Radio. The buck starts here. March 31st, 1949. A car driving down Main Street of Madawaska slows to a stop in front of the police station. A woman, immaculately dressed, gets out of the car and pulls up the collar of her jacket to protect her from a gust of cold wind. She pulls a cigarette out of a silver case, the cover engraved with a solitary F. The woman walks into the police station. There's a small waiting room inside, with only a few empty chairs against the wall. At the large desk before her, a police officer sits. He looks up at her as she lights her cigarette, and he introduces himself. Hey, Lassie, my name's Officer Randall Bandle. Hello, sir. Name's Fava, like the bean. Never heard of a name like that. Fava. 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 Close enough. 
What can I help you with? I'm guessing you don't know anything about the New York art scene. If you know anything, you'd know who Inez de la Bouche is. She made one of the most profound sculptural pieces of art that this Western Hemisphere has ever seen. Now, I am her agent. You know what that means? Can't say that I do. I make money when she makes money. I make money when her art makes money. I make money when she's alive and making art. Behind Officer Randall Bandle, there's a few empty desks in the police station. In the back corner, there's an office. The door is ajar. Simple black writing on the door reads, Chief of Police James Bull. Bull, there's a lady here to see you. A large, heavy set man comes out of the office and walks up to the desk, looks over at Fava and nods and says, Hello, ma'am. I'm Jim Bull. How may I help you? Fava, like the bean. You're looking for beans. No, ignore the... Ignore the bean thing. I'm looking for my artist, Inez de la Bouche. I need to find her. I haven't seen her, heard from her, and I hear from her at least once a week minimum. She was one of them odd sorts that are hanging down at Lucy's. Well, Mrs. Bean, I do apologize. I don't really have much information about Inez's current whereabouts that I can share with you. He can't talk about it because there's too many dead people, miss. <gasps> Excuse me? She was last seen in the company of a skiff roughman who was currently accused of murdering Christoph Dabrowski. But ma'am, I do want to reassure you that we have no reason to believe that anything ill has befallen Enos. We do know that she was staying at the Ward Manor. Well, did I insist that you take me to the house? Good luck with that. Let's go. Come on, boys. All right, Missy, we can take you to the house, but I've got to tell you it's been burnt down. It was owned by that man Vernon, and uh, unfortunately a deer or a beaver ate his face. And his house is just a bunch of ashes. I don't know who Vernon is, and I don't care. I need to find my artist. All right, ma'am. We'll take my car. Yes, thank you, as I've been asking for the last 30 seconds. Bava and Jim Bull walk out of the police station and get in Jim Bull's car. They drive to the Ward Manor, and pulling up the driveway, they pass Zadok's car, still stuck. Before them, the remains of the house are in ruin. The once majestic mansion now a skeleton of black brick and scorched earth. Fava gets out of the car and walks through the ruin. Jim Bull leans against the car, smoking a pipe, watching her. Eventually, her foot kicks over something. She stops and kneels down, and she finds a half-burned painting that resembles a young Inez. She picks it up, she brushes off the ash, and... She could see from the corner the painting is burned away. and There seems to be a folded paper hidden in the frame. Oh my. Do you see this? Chief Bull walks over and looks down at the painting. Yeah, she looked happy. Fava pulls out the piece of paper and unfolds it. Oh my. My dearest Stella, as you requested, a self-portrait of me for you, my love. Until then, we will always have the time we spent in the caves. I look at the officer pointedly, oiling ourselves and staring deep into each other's souls. I look again at the officer uncomfortably. There I have left my most precious and magnificent sculpture, my magnum opus, Cave of a Woman. It will remain our secret, an artwork just for you and I. With all my love, Inez. <gasps> Do you know what this means, officer? There is an additional artwork from Inez. I have got to find this. 
Well then, I think I'll need a hotel room. Point me in the direction of the nearest Four Seasons. Uh, no Four Seasons, ma'am, but we do have the Gateway Motel. Motel? Motel? Fifty miles south of Madawaska, a small, bespeckled doctor in his late 40s walks down the east wing of the ninth floor of the Kerry Medical Center in Caribou. He stops at a locked door with a small placard next to it that reads, Psychiatric Unit. The doctor adjusts his lab coat and presses a small buzzer beside the locked door. The door slides open as an orderly nods to the man. A woman in a lab coat walks up to Dr. Geesefeather and holds her hand out. The small man shakes it firmly. Good afternoon. I am Dr. Rateau Geesefeather. Pleased to make your acquaintance, I'm sure. Yes, I'm Dr. Twilliger. Dr. Twilliger leads Dr. Geesefeather down the hallway and the pair stop at room 913. Here he is. As you know, I'm here to determine if the patient is fit to stand trial for the heinous murder of which he stands accused. Doctor, please bring me up to speed. Well, Dr. Geesefeather... As far as I know, the patient's been saying this the same thing over and over and over again. It, it appears to be the only thing he can say. Interesting. Well, the patient was found, as I'm sure you may know, in a cave of sorts beneath the Fraser paper mill in Madawaska. I'm sure at this point you may have heard the rumors that the patient was found with the upper extremities of a Christoph Dabrowski. Are you saying that he was found with the head? Hmm, yes, well... Here is the coroner's report from the initial examination of the remains found on the patient. Dr. Geesefeather hands a report over to Dr. Terwilliger. Quite gruesome, even, I must admit. And it looks like there were some bite marks on the head. The mill workers who found him claimed it took five burly men to subdue the patient and separate him from what remained of the poor Mr. Dabrowski. Dr. Twilliger waves over an orderly and nods for them to open the door to room 913. Dr. Geesefeather and Dr. Twilliger step inside. Huddled in a corner, a frail husk of a man sits curled into a ball. He rocks slowly back and forth, muttering to himself. Long, gray hair obscures his face. Wrinkled hands clutch his shaking knees, fingernails long and yellow. Doctor, are you sure we are in the, the right room? Just how old is this patient? Supposedly, he's 35. Mr. Mr. Ruffman, I am Dr. Geesefeather. Can you hear me, son? <laughs> Mr. Ruffman, hello. Here we go again. We are here to ask you a few questions. Mystery. Indeed, Mr. Ruffman, and we are here to try to solve some of those Mysteries. Mystery. Mm, Skiff, what, what happened in the caves? Can you tell me that? Main cave! Main cave. Come on down. Why did you kill Mr. Dabrowski in the cave? Mystery! <coughs> yes, but why? Shame. Shame. Shame! Mr. Ruffman, who's shame? Your shame? Putin. Putin. Two for one after 8 p.m. Damn, that is a deal I will grant you. Burden's... Burden's oyster shack! Dr. Geesefeather, I don't, I don't think we're getting anywhere. Yes, yes, I must concur. 
it seems that we may have to take more invasive measures. Something of an electrical nature, perhaps. Mm, I agree. It's brighter. Here we go again. It's brine time down at Vernon's Oyster Shack, where oysters are two for one after 8 p.m. every Tuesday. We've got your Pacific oysters, your Eastern oysters, Chilean oysters and Olympia oysters, Sydney Rock oysters, our own special mystery oyster day, Chris, and of course, from our very own backyard, Maine Cave oysters. We've got oyster hamburgers, oyster hot dogs, we've got oyster poutine, and it is my greatest shame to say that we've even got oyster ice cream. That's right, Madawaska. Come on down to Vernon's Oyster Shack, where oysters in my public defeat flow like terrifying fury from Poseidon's trident! Vernon's Oyster Shack. It's bright time. Bartholomew Dabrowski sits in the waiting room of Dr. Frank Rock's office in Madawaska. A radio plays low music in the background. A bald, portly man comes out from a back office. He walks up to Barty and holds his hand out. Hello, I'm Dr. Frank Rock. I am uh, Barty Dabrowski. It's a pleasure to meet you. My condolences. He's okay, I did my morning on train up, of, up to this town. I am no longer sad about this issue. Okay, well, follow me. All right. In Dr. Rock's office, there's a large desk. On top of the desk, there's a cooler. He puts his hands on the cooler, and he looks over at Barty, and he says, Here he is. My brother is in that little box? Most of him. What do you mean, most of him? By most of him, I mean the most of him of which was found in the cave. Well, it's just... It's so frustrating because it's like I go to see police station and they they look me in the eye and then they don't say anything. They just say, uh, uh, brother, go to hospital. So no one told you of your brother's murder? Uh. I see. Well, another man was found to be in possession of your brother's upper extremities. And you're saying man is holding his his head? Mm, yes. The rest of his totality was processed into a jelly-like substance through means of which we are still unawares. I would be interested in seeing this jelly, yes. Dr. Rock opens the box and he pulls out two large mason jars filled with a dark red substance and puts them on the table. In jar is the uh, gem, and in cooler is head. I must reiterate, there is no consumable products in this cooler. It is but a jelly-like composite of your brother. Don't understand. I find I sell it at farmer's markets. Jesus. My condolences. 
Outside of room 814 at the Cary Medical Center in Caribou, Maine, Officer Carl Roach sleeps in a chair, his feet outstretched, a newspaper open on his lap. The headline reads, How many more will go missing in Madawaska? Carl doesn't hear the approaching footsteps of two FBI agents. Good morning, officer. Uh, uh, hey, yeah, hey, uh, good morning. <clears throat> yes, uh, yes, I'm the officer, yes, I'm the officer here. Uh, Agent Bones and Agent Stryker here from the occult department of the FBI. Now, uh, we'll be heading inside. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, go on in. Agent Bones and Stryker enter the room. It's dimly lit, a strong smell of antiseptic in the air. A low hum is punctuated by a beep from a monitor beside Charles Gagnon's bed. Charles looks up at the agents. His one remaining leg is handcuffed to the bed. Charles's eyes are glossy and red. Hi, Charles. How are you doing, Charles? I, I pull up a chair. I sidle up next to him. If you could recount your story for us one more time, that's all we need from you. I've already told you the whole story. I told the Madawaska police the whole story. I told the state police the whole story. I mean, it's consistent, but it's just not adding up. Bones? Here's the thing. I'm trying to help you out here, you know? We found out about Claude Pelletier running a gambling ring. We know you were a part of it. You think I'm really scared of you, or Claude? You don't even know what I've seen. Charles lifts up his stumps, holds them out to the agents. Look at him! Oh, I turn my head away from his stumps, and I rest my hand on his shoulder. Ugh. Charles, do you know where Linda Ito is? I told you people. Stella took her. Did you search the caves? I told you to look in the cave. She took her down there. Charles, we know about the affair with Stella. We're aware of the fact that you could have been having an affair with Linda Ito. We just need to know more than just search the caves. That's not enough for us to go off of. Charles lays back and turns his head away from the investigators, clearly annoyed. Look, like I already told you, yes, I was having an affair with Stella. Linda was just Stella's friend. I was staying at Linda's the night of the storm. She was giving me a place to hide out. Claude had sent some of his guys over to break into my motel room. They were looking for their money. I didn't have it. I was planning to leave the next day, and in the middle of the night I heard Linda scream, and then I heard Stella. I ran to Linda's room, and there was Stella in the window, and oh my god, it was like nothing I've ever seen. This is the same shit we've heard. So at this point I glance over at Stryker, and... Now I'm gonna ask this one more time. Why did you burn down Della Stards and Ward Manor? I don't remember doing any of that. The last thing I remember is seeing Stella and then waking up in the snow with people that were staying with Vernon all around me and my, my hands were gone. Charles, did you kill Vernon? I have these, these nightmares now. I don't know, I just see Stella and I just see her eyes and they're totally white. Charles continues to mumble until he drifts away into a morphine-induced sleep. Striker and Bones go back out of the hallway, closing the door behind them. All right, so we got that same mumbo-jumbo, hooey-dooey magic stuff that I don't believe in, ever. I'll give you some points that some of the things we've encountered I've never would have imagined I've seen in my life ever. Poltergeists, dragons, leprechauns, zombies, I need a little bit more to actually believe that there's something else going on besides just science and hard facts. Ah, uh, I'm torn. 
I have to say, I'm one to believe this magic stuff. But Stryker, I'll go with your gut here. He's given us the same story over and over again. It doesn't line up. Must be hopped up on morphine. Hey, you, you guys look like you're having a moment. You know, I sit out here about my... They, they have me on solo duty out here. So it's just nice, it's nice to see partners, you know? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, this is going to be a little weird. I, I shouldn't ask. Can I get a hug from you guys and just call me pal? No. No, no, no. It was, it was uh, no, it was, uh, um, no, it's cool. I was, it's totally cool. I was joking. I didn't really actually want that. No, it's totally. Sorry, man. It's just that there's, um, there's like a level of bonding that happens when you have to fend off a pack of wolverines when you're searching for Bigfoot up in the Alaskan wilds. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do some tough stuff, you know, sometimes sitting out here can be hard. You know, I sit out here in front of this door. I make sure that nothing weird comes in and out of it. The way I approach any case is that the simplest solution is usually the correct solution. Is that, you know, this guy snaps, burns some stuff down, murders some people, black and white easy case. The way I approach any case, unlike my partner here, is I go for most mystical, most ambiguous explanation you can possibly find. Wow. You, you know how I approach any case? First, have a coffee. Then, I look at the files. And then if the files give any clues, I'll normally explore those. And oftentimes, if I explore the clues long enough, they might lead me to the solution. So my uh, most recent case is this one. I got as far as I watched the door. You know what, Roach? I don't mind ya. I don't mind you one bit. That means a lot. Can I call you Bones? I look at Stryker, shrug. Okay, yeah, you can call me Bones. Uh, okay, cool, cool. Whatever, Bones. Can I call you B or Bones? I'll just stick with I'll stick with, I'll stick with Bones. Night falls over Caribou. Officer Roach is fast asleep in the chair. His arms wrapped around him as though he's hugging himself. Vodka, vodka, vodka. In the room, Charles tosses and turns in a fever dream. He moans. Pain pulsates in the emptiness of where his hands once were. The door to his room silently closes. A trail of light forms in the darkness, tracing the silhouette of a woman. The figure glides along the floor, weightless, towards the bed. Charles. Charles's eyes shoot open as a cold voice screams inside his head like a shard of ice rammed between his temples. He jumps up in bed and recoils at the sight of Rose, shutting his eyes against the pulsating light. The colors are like nothing he's ever seen. He raises his arm to shield his face as a wave of nausea washes over him. Oh, no. No. Shh. I was scared at first, too, but, but it's all clear now. Oh, my God. Rose caresses Charles's cheek like a lover. It's all clear, Charles. Her touch sends fire and ice through his veins, a wave of pure agony washing over him. His world is a singularity of pain. He thrashes in the bed, unable to scream. Rose remains still, a serene expression on her face. Blood pours from the bandages of his lost limbs. He looks down at where his hands once were. Thick tendrils, wet with blood as black as night, pulsate as they grow from his stumps. It's okay. 
the window in the hospital room creaks open. A mass of black tendrils slides in from the darkness outside, and the moonlight shows the face of Linda Ito. Get up, Charles. There's work to be done. Thus concludes the horrors of Madawaska, for now. The friends of the Bone Chariot are Andy Diaz as Skiff Ruffman and Glenn Hart, Francis Lee as Inez de la Bouche, Justine Sweetman as Rose Young, Sam Reese as Christoph Dabrowski, and Joshua Storms as the narrator, with special appearances by Devin Bachrath as Geraldine Swan and Graham Vickers as Ernest the Gravedigger. Our website is bonechariot.com. You can contact us by screaming curses at the next blood moon. 